Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our topic is declaring God wins when it appears he's losing. Declaring God wins when it appears he's losing out of Jeremiah 32. Uh, This is a serious podcast, one of the more important ones I feel like I've ever done. And uh, because it's really about you uh, staying so grounded that regardless of what is shifting around you, uh, you declare from the bottom of your being that God wins, even when it appears that he is not. And uh, so let me invite you to go to two resources to help you stay grounded before I dig into this text here. Uh, One is on Sabbath and the other is on a daily office. Getting a rhythm in your days with the daily office and getting a rhythm in your weeks with Sabbath so that you can stay grounded. So check out emotionallyhealthy.org slash team for a uh, one-hour Sabbath video with some handouts on how to establish a Sabbath rhythm in your weeks. Uh, And then go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office for a free download for a daily office on how do I establish a rhythm in my days so I can stay grounded regardless of what's coming my way. Again, because you... Uh, are the key for all those around you that you serve. So we as leaders, uh, we've been hit with multiple crises at the same time. Uh, When COVID-19 hit, uh, we realized, oh, this is going to be a marathon uh, of a challenge. But uh, as other crises have come on top of that one, uh, we're realizing this is much larger and it's almost like we're running an Ironman triathlon. And it's not simply a 26-mile race uh, marathon. is a 2.4-mile swim and a 112-mile bicycle ride all at the same time. Uh, and we need to be iron men and women. Uh, again, seeming like, oh, except for the grace of God. And isn't that the truth? So the pandemic uh, has exposed a number of things in the church uh, that we've perhaps been relying on, our visions, our plans, our gatherings on weekends, the large events, the sense of momentum, our visions, uh, and all of a sudden that's gone. And so much of what we built the church on. Uh, And then we've got an economic recession and downturn uh, that's global and massive that is, again, coming at us and with all kinds of financial implications. And then the killing of George Floyd, which exposed, uh, at least here in the United States, the, the narrowness of our discipleship that ignored uh, injustice, racial injustice, uh, racism, and the scandal of it. And I think even some of the, uh, now the uh, bitterness and and, politi- and the, the way it's become so politicized have been so tragic and the cluelessness of so many leaders in the church uh, and some of our mega churches has been really, you know, tragic and not just here in the United States, but around the world. And so it's, it's, it's going another shaking. Uh, and so this issue of Declaring God wins in, when it appears he's losing is critically important for us because the ground underneath which we've been walking and our people have been walking in their lives and in the church has been pulled out, has been shaken. And so I'm meeting more and more people that are saying things to me like, I, I just don't believe in the church anymore, that it can make a difference. Uh, or it just seems like a waste of time to invest in building, building the church. It's so out of touch. Or there's so much bigotry in the church to the right or to the left politically, and I just don't have hope for it anymore or even in God. And so this issue of hope, biblical hope, which is really about a certainty of the future, and we live from that place, is so critical in that in this moment, but it must come from a deep place inside of us. And so Jeremiah is such a help here because Jeremiah the prophet lived through multiple crises. In fact, he had a 50 to 60 year ministry 
Uh, and if you read the history behind his life, as uh, there, it was one crisis after another, uh, all of which were much larger than the ones that we've experienced so far. But who knows what lies ahead for us? But one thing is clear: the world that we knew before is uh, is gone, uh, and now we're in a in a, a new a new new reality, and uh, we're living through crises and leading our people through crises, and so. Again, the temptation of despair is a real one, and I and I be honest, this part of this message comes out of my own struggle with it, and especially as as the the, the racial uh, tensions, and as you, you all know, I've been investing in this for for decades, but the the feeling of this will never change in the church. We should instead of leading the way, we're part of the problem. It seems, and uh, and then again, I ended up back in scripture and realizing, no, no, God has a plan for this, and we are the hope of the world, and God does win even when it appears he's losing. And scripture in particular reignites us with a God perspective that can, that is so necessary for us to be steeped in in these times. You may have seen uh, the, there's a website that has posters of motivation that you'll see in lots of businesses and teams about, you know, perseverance and things like that, motivation. But there's also the opposite is the despair.inc. Uh, about about posters that talk about despair. And you'll see things like a ship sinking and it has the word over it, mistakes. And it says underneath the picture of a ship sinking, it could be the only purpose in your life is to serve as a warning to others. Uh, or uh, a guy in, in a race and he comes in last in a picture and it says defeat above the picture and underneath the caption, it says for every winner, there are dozens of losers. Chances are you are one of them. Uh, or agony you know, you get, it shows a person being hit uh, in boxing and it says agony on the top of the picture. Then underneath the picture, it says not all pain is gain. And it's very easy in these days to lose perspective and go in despair and not see God. Uh, as Murphy's Law says, if things can go wrong, they always will and will always at the worst possible time. Uh, but Jeremiah is such an important prophet, just like Habakkuk and many other, the other prophets in days like today. Because, again, he was living in such a shaking time for God's people in Israel. And so the context here, we're going to pick up the story in Jeremiah 32. And Babylon, which is the, was the uh, global superpower of his day, had finished uh, cleaning up all around the Mideast and conquering every surrounding nation, uh, but now was, has put a siege around Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar is the uh, commander. You know, he's the king of Babylon. Uh, Babylon is the most magnificent city in the world. Their empire is the greatest the world had ever known up to that point. Uh, the city of Babylon was, was 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 massive. They say up to 200 square miles with a double defensive wall with towers, and they had hanging gardens that were one of the one, one of the wonder seven wonders of the world, and extensive parks, and they were just a massive military machine with temples to over 50 pagan gods that that apparently gave them victory. Over, again, the God of Israel looks small and puny and defeated, and the gods of Babylon look very victorious and powerful. And now they have surrounded the city, and they're about to conquer it. Uh, and everyone inside the city is trying to flee. The economy of Israel has been shattered in Jerusalem. There's no business. Uh, silver, gold, and land is worthless. People are struggling to eat. Starvation has set in. Uh, in fact, Lamentation tells us that the people are eating the flesh of children to stay alive. Uh, there's really no sense of society left. And so the world, as people knew it, was rocked and shattered. In fact, they believed that Jerusalem could never be conquered, ever, because it was God's city. 
uh, and a king would always sit on David's throne. And so there was an understanding that this city will never, ever fall. It's impossible. But yet here they are. Death is at the door. There's no hope. Uh, and basically, people's attitude is the only thing that matters is surviving, never mind the consequences. Uh, just stay alive somehow. And, and so here's Jeremiah. Now, all the priests and the prophets of that day are saying to the people, it's going to be fine. Uh, you know, that some people had already been taken into exile, the previous king. And they say, no, they're going to come back. Uh, Babylon's not going to conquer the city. God's going to come through for us. And basically, the, the government and the, and the uh, priests and prophets are all in cahoots. That's going to be just fine. Uh, keeping an optimistic view. Everyone except for Jeremiah and a couple of other prophets who have been already been killed. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah, he appears like a traitor because he's saying, surrender to the Babylonians and we'll live. And he's telling that to the king and all the people. And so at certain points, they put him into a, a cistern or a vat of mud uh, to die. Uh, and uh, he eventually gets his life saved. But he is really over, over his 50, 60 year ministry, he's almost tortured because he's got this word of God inside of him that nobody wants to hear. And he writes things like, my heart is broken within me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. They are like Sodom to me, says the Lord. Do not listen to them. They fill you with false hopes. And so he's in a context, as in chapter 23 of Jeremiah, there's all this false hope going on. But Jeremiah actually has a real hope, but it's grounded in reality. Uh, and so the Lord speaks to Jeremiah in chapter 32. And here's what he says to him. Jeremiah, I want you to go buy a field uh, in the city of Anathoth, which is outside the walls of Jerusalem. I want you to buy a, uh, this field and do it publicly. Uh, and uh, he's like, why should I do this? And the Lord just says, buy the field. Everyone's saying, you know, watch out for yourself. He buys a field. And what's so ridiculous about this is the Babylonians are coming in. And it looks like they're coming in, you know, as when the Babylonians come in, all the land is going to be worthless because they'll own everything. Uh, so why would he buy this land and a house on it? But he goes through with the formal closing and the deeds and the witnesses and the seals, normal business practice. And uh, why? Because there's no hope for any future here. Uh, and what's so fascinating, he buys it. And, and the word of the Lord comes to him. And he says, God, why are you having me do this? Now, again, he's being misunderstood as he, do, as he does it because they think, you're, 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 a, you're for the Babylonians. You're not yeah, for us. You're buying this field so that when the Babylonians come in, you're going to be a rich man. Uh, and he's, no, I'm doing it because God told me to do it because there's a future. And here's what the Lord says to Jeremiah in uh, chapter 32. He goes, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, I am the Lord God of all humankind. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? Uh, because this is the point God says is that, yes, you're going to be carried off by the Babylonians. You, you're going to be, we're going to be wiped out. But in 70 years, God's going to restore us back to the land. 70 years. Uh, and God's got a plan for this. Uh, and uh, it would be like for us in the United States, the Islamic State is going to take over America. And the Lord says, you know, and the prophet says, surrender the Islamic State, but God's got a plan for his glory and his kingdom on the earth. But Jeremiah could see through that God's people had an external faith 
they 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 were you know they were going to the temple they were making sacrifices but they were externally conformally conforming but inside they had not changed and so he saw this over years and years the mixed with paganism and nationalism and their ingratitude and their apostasy and and so he was he was unpopular because he had calling out the idolatry within the church and his own family uh, cursed him and actually plotted against him at one point. And he, he went through the Assyrians invasion. Now he went through the Babylonian invasion. And uh, and actually, right before this instance in chapter 32, the Babylons had conquered, the Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem. They took away the king and the queen mother and some state officials and leading citizens, took, took a lot of the wealth. And they put in another king as puppet of Israel, but they let him go. But now it's almost 10 years later. And, the, and this puppet king is now rebelling against Babylon. And the hopes are high that they're not going to succeed against uh, you know, conquering Jerusalem. Uh, and, but jo- jo- Jeremiah says, don't be optimistic. In fact, he keeps urging them, surrender to Babylon. And they want to kill him. And here he buys a field as if he's one of the, uh, he's, like he's working for the Babylonians himself. But here's the point of Jeremiah. When you find yourself at the grave of a loved one, that you'll never see again, you can trust this, God has a plan. When you're betrayed by someone that you've served with, a friend or a coworker, and you find yourself in just a deep hole, God has a plan. When you've got challenges in your family, you say, oh my gosh, how am I gonna lead? I got my own problems and you're disappointed, but God has a plan. Maybe you end up losing your job, you've gotta go bivocational, but God's got a plan. The future seems dim, but God's got a plan. You didn't get your promotion or expansion or the kind of money you thought you would get. God has a plan. You initiate something. You plan something. COVID-19 happened. It flopped, but God's got a plan. You find yourself in great suffering and exhaustion and grief, and you're looking for God's hidden will. You're not sure where it is, but you can trust this. God has a plan. The government may look like our government's so divided and split. It looks like evil's expanding on both sides of the aisle, but God's got a plan. It looks like everything pure and lovely and good is not enduring, but God has a plan. We've got dreams that maybe you've had dreams that have been shattered, but you can trust this. God has a plan, says Jeremiah. The pure in heart are trampled. The proud are strutting the earth, but God's got a plan. You look ahead and you see, all I see is crucifixion. I'd rather do anything but drink the cup that looks like in front of me as a leader. But God says, I've got a plan. Listen, the future, God says, I've got it. And he says to Jeremiah, uh, you know, Jeremiah says, the surrender of the Babylonians in chapter 32, he says, you tell them, uh, yes, this by sword and famine and plague, the city's going to be handed over to the king of Babylon. But this is what the God of Israel says. I will surely gather you from all the lands where I banish you. I will bring you back to this place and you will live in safety. You will be my people and I will be your God and I will give you singleness of heart and action and I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me so they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good uh, in this land with all my heart and soul. And so there's a there's a reality of things are going to fall apart that you're holding on to, but you can trust this. I will never stop doing good to you. What a great text. And so in my despair looking at racial relations inside and outside the church in the United States right now, I, I could lose it. I say, the future is so bleak. The church is so divided and segregated. And God says, no, 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 no. My son died to destroy the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He shed blood for a new people, a new community to be built that transcends 
nation, social, and racial barriers, a new unbreakable family bond, and the evil of racism and indifference is it, 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 not so great. And with the blood of Jesus, I have purchased people for God from every tongue, culture, tribe in the world to the final marriage supper of the land. And so we keep late. We're going to labor to build multiracial churches that model prophetically the power of God that actually bridges the great racial divisions of our time for the glory of Christ. And we want to lead the way as a church. Because why? Because God has a plan. Something's been exposed, of course. No question about it. Uh, and it, just like Jeremiah, it seemed like it was Jeremiah was a failure. So few people listened to his words. Uh, and he was actually dragged off to exile against his will. But his words of hope helped God's people in the future. And we've got to carry those words. Do you understand? There is a word of the Lord that we're to carry that God, we declare hope uh, and, and, and victory. And even when it appears that God is losing because he is not. And I love when he says he buys the field and he says 70 years later, we're going to be back. And I love Jeremiah 29, 11. You all know it, but perhaps not the context around it. When, he tells, when, when they're in Babylon, he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And, and God's got plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He's got good plans for you and a hope and a future. And goodness and mercy will really follow you all the days of your life. Psalm 23, 6. It just may not look the way you thought. So how can you live in hope in a certainty of God's plan in a world of despair when the ground underneath us has started to roll like waves of an ocean and we're feeling seasick? And Jeremiah gives us a great clue here and a great insight here. And it, this, this goes over his whole 40 to 50, 60 year ministry uh, from its calling as a, as a young man. Uh, and here was the key for Jeremiah was he, he listened to the voice of the Lord, uh, not the crowds, you know, not Twitter, not Facebook. He listens for the voice of the Lord. And here's what he says. In, in, I'm in Jeremiah 23. He says, which of them, referring to the priests and other prophets, has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has tasted and heard his word? The Lord says, I did not send these prophets, but they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people. I want to say it one more time. The question is raised through Jeremiah. Which of them, for all the religious leaders, has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people. I said the one uh, person with a very large platform uh, this past week, uh, he didn't know what to say around white, Black Lives Matter, a white guy. And it was under tremendous pressure from the media to say something. And I just said, you say very simply, I'm listening and I'm learning. I'm listening and I'm learning and you stay right there. You got a lot to learn. You want to be listening to God and learning. I love what Jesus said. My, my father's always at work to this very day. I mean, God's working. Now, I don't know the future here. Uh, America, the United States of America, is one country among many of the superpowers over all world history. 
Uh, it is not the kingdom of God. For many people, the hope in our country is shot. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Our hope has got to be in Jesus and his kingdom. And I love our country, but my hope is in him. But we're not used to, for those of us living in the United States, having this kind of rocking go on in our midst. Uh, and there are, as Jeremiah's day, and he, he calls them, and I read it earlier, peddlers of false hope because they're really not listening. Many people, their shoulders are slumped. They're feeling defeated, floundering. It's kind of an infected spirit for some of complaining or a bit battle-weary. It almost seems like uh, anything's possible. That is true. But you can trust this. God has a plan. And people that we may think are the most evil, and they are evil, but somehow God's working out a plan in and through them. And Nebuchadnezzar is one example where he is called repeatedly, Nebuchadnezzar, God says, my servant. So here's the invitation for you and the invitation for me and the invitation for our churches. And that is to deeply abide in Jesus and listen to him. And we stay at our post and do his will. You know, I encountered Jeremiah 32 in the year 2002. And we had spent the previous four years saving and preparing to buy a building. The building, actually, uh, that New Life Fellowship Church is in right now. And people had given their retirement accounts. Uh, they had given their life savings. Uh, people had sold apartments. Uh, they had done incredible things to give toward a building fund. And uh, we were apparently very close to closing. We had a contract and everything. Then six months before closing, a developer came in, undercut us, and we were given a letter that in six months we would have to vacate the building. We were out. They broke the contract. And uh, I was at a low of lows because we had had a meeting, I remember as a board meeting, talking about breaking up into four different small congregations, uh, you know, finding places to rent. But basically, it, would be, it was going to be a whole new day. And uh, I was in, of course, despair because... I couldn't lead by vision anymore because that vision was gone. And my plans were shot. All of our plans were shot. And God led me to this passage in Jeremiah 32 that what is hope? Hope is not this soft word of, you know, I hope this happens. No, it's, it's, a, it's living from the future, which is certain. And that is God wins. Uh, and the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, even when it appears he is losing. That was Jeremiah's point. Uh, that is a prophetic voice. And uh, uh, this this passage changed my life and taught me what is real hope. And it's like Abraham when he's about to sacrifice Isaac and kill him in, in Genesis 22. It says, Abraham reasoned God could raise the dead, even though humanly speaking was absolutely impossible. And it's this verse here in, in, in Jeremiah 32. I am the Lord God of all humankind. Is anything too hard for me? God clearly claims to run the world. Not he could run the world or can run the world. He really does run the world all the time. Proverbs 16, 4 says, The Lord works out everything for his own end, even the wicked. The Lord works out everything for his own end, even the wicked. And one day, every sorrow we taste will prove to be the best possible thing that could ever have happened to us. And we'll thank God endlessly for the trials that he sent here. That's why I love Romans eleven thirty three, where it says, Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. We see small pieces, very small pieces on his massive tapestry. But God says, I'm working out a plan. I've got a plan for your good, for others' good, and for my glory. 
And yes, you perhaps right now you cannot rely on your vision and plan. We're following the cloud by day and the fire by night. The markers that we had are we can't see them, but he is the marker. And you may not say you may say like I don't know how to lead. Uh, I know I'm saying that some days, but that's a good place. And the pressure is to have all the answers. Uh, to do something, to take away people's anxiety, keep our people energized so we don't lose them, they don't go somewhere else in some other ministry. We've got to keep things moving. No, friends, we want to call people to God who wins, even when it appears he's losing. And it's true, we're not holding on to anything. We're actually surrendering and letting go of control, but we're holding on to Jesus. And we're calling people to a depth of relationship with him out of which all fruitfulness follows. Jesus actually, he really is the vision. Paul wanted to preach the gospels in places that no one else had gone. But if you look closely at his, his life, he rarely ended up where he wanted to go. He ends up beaten, shipwrecked, in prison. Uh, he could have viewed his life as a lot of wasted time and lost time, but he just kept doing God's will as it mysteriously unfolded before him. Something's unfolding before you and me. Listen, just as God is at work in the change of seasons, right? Winter to spring, spring to summer, summer to fall. Nature doesn't work automatically. It is God who moves the cycles of nature and they endure. It's his promise. And the earth and the skies remain only by God's sustenance. You can rest assured God has a plan. And I want to invite you to deepen in him and declare that it is God who wins even when it appears he's losing. And may you surrender your being to him uh, every day, uh, letting go of your attachments and things you're maybe clinging to and even things that you're resisting that God may want to be doing around you and be able to float on the river of his love to wherever he takes you and invite your people to do the same so we might see the earth filled with the glory of the Lord in ways that we've never, ever imagined before. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. I look forward to doing a, a part two on this next week. You have a wonderful, wonderful 